Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you, our late night show. Are you kidding me? Where else would you rather be from 10 o'clock to midnight on a Tuesday than right here? On Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. We have a ton to do up until midnight tonight. We are loaded with guests. Obviously, it's going to be a large, large portion of Jacksonville and the Chargers conversation. But we will talk a little college football. We're actually going to start there as uh, the Georgia Bulldogs are celebrating their second national championship in as many years after a 65 the seven win over TCU last night. More on that in a moment. My man Matt Hayes, you hear him every day on XL Primetime. You read him at Saturday Down South. He'll join us inside of 20 minutes to review the dogs and kind of look ahead to the offseason to come in the world of college football. Coming up in about uh, 40 minutes or so, John Shipley of Jaguar Report as we will dive headfirst into the Jaguars and the Chargers, Mike Williams, wide receiver, Los Angeles. I did not practice report today. Everybody else for the Chargers did. Mike Williams did not. Remember, he did have a back issue on Sunday in Denver, so we will certainly monitor that as the week goes on. Interesting for Jacksonville, two did not practices on the injury report. Long snapper Ross Matissek, but kicker Riley Patterson made the list as well. That's concerning, obviously, uh, so we'll monitor that as the week goes on. But John Shipley of Jaguar Report coming up in about 40 minutes. In the 11 o'clock hour, we will go to Los Angeles. Uh, we will go to Los Angeles actually probably every night the remainder of the week. We will kick it off tonight. We'll get the Chargers side of things beginning tonight with Fernando Ramirez. Fernando's covered the Chargers for a while, the Sporting Tribune out there in the state of California as we begin looking at the Los Angeles Chargers and at the bottom of the 11 o'clock hour, my man Justin Barney of Channel 4, a little high school coaching carousel talk here as a lot of high school football coaches are coming and going locally. But of course, we'll also get into the Jaguars with Justin Barney of Channel 4. So we're loaded, as we will be every night this week here on Hacker After Dark. And every night, we kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Last night, about 24 hours ago from right now, actually, was a great night for the University of Georgia and was a terrible night for the sport of college football. Let me explain. Obviously, the University of Georgia, it was a great night. Back-to-back national championships, 
now 29-1 and over a two-year stretch. Absolutely the most dominating performance in maybe the history of national title games in the sport of college football. To think at one point in that game last night, it was 10 to 7. It was 10 to 7. Final score was 65 to 7. And by the way, if Georgia would have kept their starters in, they might have scored 100. Uh, it was, I said on Twitter, it was Bowles versus DuPont Middle School. That's what it looked like out there. And that's the Super Bowl, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the Super Bowl of college football. That is the national championship game. We'll get into that in a moment. But Kirby Smart, is he the next Nick Saban? Has he replaced Nick Saban as the great greatest coach currently in college football? I think there's an argument for that. I think there's a conversation for that. Georgia is, um, well, they're just on top of the college football world. And I thought it was interesting last night. I don't know if you guys saw Kirby Smart doing this. He pulled the Jordan, the Michael Jordan fingers, where he held up the one finger and then the two fingers, and then he held up three fingers. And that kind of caught me aback, so I did a little look-see at Georgia's schedule next year. And uh, quite frankly, it's a joke. The Georgia Bulldogs' schedule next year is a joke. They should be flat out ashamed of themselves. But it won't matter. They're going to win every game by 50 in the conference anyway. Georgia begins on Saturday, September 2nd, taking on Tennessee Martin. Denmark, can I get a mascot for Tennessee Martin? No idea. They are the Fighting Skyhawks. Well, I've never guessed that. The next Saturday, September 9th, Georgia plays host to Ball State. So the two-time defending national champions open up with Tennessee Martin and Ball State. They're the Cardinals, I believe. They are, and I think they're the alma mater of David Letterman. That's what I got for you for Ball State. Saturday, September 16th, South Carolina comes to Athens. Then Georgia's going to have a real battle on their hands Saturday, September 23rd when the Blazers of UAB come in. So your first four games for the Dogs, Tennessee Martin, Ball State, South Carolina, and UAB. Then you're at Auburn, home to Kentucky, at Vanderbilt, a bye week, the cocktail party here, home to Missouri, home to Ole Miss, at Tennessee, at Georgia Tech. They are going to win every game by 20 points next year. Possibly with the exception of at Tennessee, although they're losing a lot of folks, including their quarterback. So, um, Georgia will be the overwhelming favorite again <clears throat> going into next year to repeat again as national champions. But for the here and now, it was a great night for Georgia. Stetson Bennett has taken his spot in college football history. He's officially 29-3 and three as a starting quarterback, but over the last two years, he's 29-1 and one with two 
national championships. And he was nothing short of sensational last night. That's the good side of last night. There was an ugly side. There was a bad side. And to me, that's the sport of college football. There is a problem in the world of college football. And I really don't know what can be done to correct it. Your final game of the year, your national championship game, the Super Bowl of college football, which is what the national championship game is supposed to be, it can't be 65-7. to <clears throat> It just can't be. There's got to be more parity than that. The semifinal games were good. But I look at Georgia and, and, you know, I look at the sport of college football, and here we are on the 10th day of January in 2023. We are seven and a half months away from games that mean anything in the regular season in college football for next year. And I feel very confident in telling you Georgia will be in the playoff. I feel very confident in telling you Ohio State will be in the playoff. I feel very confident in telling you Alabama will either be in the playoff or just on the outskirts. Depending on what Jim Harbaugh does at Michigan, there's 130 Division I college football teams. There are 65 Power Five teams in the world of college football. There is no parity at all. None. Now, you could argue that there really never has been, right? I mean, if you go back to the, if you want to start 1990 forward, Florida had a run, Nebraska had a run, Florida State had a run, Miami had a run. Then you get into Alabama's dominance. There's a little sprinkling of Florida and LSU in there. Auburn a little bit. Back to Florida State. Back to Alabama. Oregon had a little stretch there where they were in the playoff and a national championship game. Georgia then showed up to the party. Every once in a while, you'll have a Michigan State or a Notre Dame that's just good enough to get in the playoff and then gets crushed. Oklahoma has been in the playoff fairly consistent. USC. But of teams that can win the college football national championship, there's 130 options, 65 in the power five. What are they realistically, six or seven? that can win the national title in 2023. <clears throat> Isn't that a problem? Isn't that something that we need to see about working on? And the problem is you're getting farther away from a solution. Now with NIL, you're getting farther away. Guess who's got the most money to spend? The teams that have been the best. So in the Southeastern Conference is a prime example, right? I mean, you look at, go out west, you look at Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, those three for sure. I might even lump Auburn in there. 
Do they ever have a shot of winning the West? At least for the next, you know, foreseeable future? I don't know. I, I tend to doubt it. I mean, Ole Miss will give you an 11 and, well, you know, 11 and two every once in a while, a 10 and three. <clears throat> but is Ole Miss one year going to find a way to knock off Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, and Auburn in the same year? You look in the East. Florida fans, I hate to tell you this. Did you watch that last night? It is unbelievable how much further ahead Georgia is than you. It's not even close. Not even close. Who in the East is going to catch Georgia? Tennessee? This this was Tennessee's best team this year that they probably had since their national title team in 90, what was it, 98. This was the best Tennessee team they've had in a quarter century. And they did not belong on the field with Georgia when they played them in Athens. Georgia won that game going away. It's just going to be tough. Now you add NIL to it. Teams like Georgia just simply have more money, better resources. You could say the same thing about Oklahoma in the Big 12, Texas. Now, when they come to the SEC, that'll be a little interesting, but the lack of parity has always been there in the world of college football. But, man, I've never noticed it more prevalent in the last year or two. Who is going to beat Georgia next year? The only possible team that could beat Georgia on this schedule that I just laid out for you? Can can Auburn beat him on the Plains? I doubt it. Hugh Freeze first year, I doubt it. Is Florida going to beat him here? No. Is Tennessee going to beat him in Neyland? That might be the best shot for Georgia to lose a regular season game. But again, I love the sport of college football. I am a college football diehard. But when you're looking at a 12-game schedule for the Dogs, and they're likely to be a 20-point favorite in every game next year, with the possible exception of at Auburn and at Tennessee, that is a problem. And the issue is, there's not a good solution. I mean, Georgia's doing everything within the rules of college football. And they haven't even really used the NIL to their advantage yet. Not like A&M and Alabama and Miami and those teams have. Again, I'm not going to say college football is broken. But what fun is it if you're a fan of 55, 57 of the 65 Power 5 teams? You don't have a prayer of winning the national championship. This was the best season in the history of TCU football. Winning the Big 12, beating Michigan, a Heisman Trophy finalist at quarterback, a top 20 wide receiver, and they lost by 58. Again, great night for Georgia. Terrible night for the world of college football. One other thought, again, Matt Hayes coming up, You read him on Saturday Down South, you hear him on XL Primetime. He's got a lot of thoughts on this. 
Gator fans, are you freaking out about Jaden Rashada? The five-star quarterback from California who has signed his letter of intent was supposed to enroll at the University of Florida this week, has not yet. Has gone dark. Nobody's heard from him. He's putting, well, I shouldn't say nobody's heard from him. He's putting kind of cryptic messages on his social media. Gator fans are freaking out, and I got to tell you something. <clears throat> if Jaden Rashada does not show up at the University of Florida and is not a Florida Gator in 2023, this offseason has been a disaster. You don't have a quarterback. I don't know how good Rashad is going to be. I have no idea. But the damage that that would do to the image of Billy Napier and the Gators is going to be hard to repair. Some so There's some rumors out there that Rashad will enroll at the end of the week. There's some rumors out there that it could be a hiccup with the NIL. Again, the NIL. It could be something minor. It could be something major. But what we know right now is that Rashada is yet to enroll and he was supposed to. And if the University of Florida, after losing Anthony Richardson, goes into next year with Graham Mertz, Jack Miller, and Max Brown as your only three scholarship quarterbacks, that is a catastrophe of epic football proportions. So that is certainly something, Gator fans, to keep your eye on moving forward, the status of Jaden Rashada. If he enrolls, it's all for naught. There's no need to worry about it. But the more time that goes on, the more I might be concerned if I was a Gator fan. Denmark, Tuesday nights, here on Hacker After Dark, our late show. We're givers, man. We like to help the people out, send them places, give them rewards, if you will, for staying up late with us. We're here for the blue-collar men and women of Northeast Florida. The graveyard shift, we're here for you. All you fellas out at the airport making it happen. I know you're listening right now. I talk to you every time I go out there. We're here for you. Denmark, what do we have tonight for the late-night crowd? We got a pair of tickets to Fleetwood Mac Tribute live at Thrasher Horn Center Thursday, January 19th. Call me at 904-641-1010. Thursday, January 19th. If you like Fleetwood Mac, this will be a cool concert to go to. Caller 4 right now, 641-1010, and we will hook you up with those tickets. The Thrasher Horn Center, is that where it is? That's correct. I like that. All right, very good. Call Dylan Denmark, 641-1010. Coming up next, Matt Hayes, Saturday Down South, and, of course, right here on XL Primetime, is college football broken? Is anybody ever going to beat Georgia? Is Kirby Smart ever going to get burnt out? All interesting questions. We'll address them all next on Hacker After Dark. No. Yellow. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. 
Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The college football season officially wrapped up on Monday night. And oh my goodness, the Georgia Bulldogs left absolutely no doubt. 65-7 to over TCU. Let's talk about it with Matt Hayes. You hear him on XL Primetime. You also read him at SaturdayDownSouth.com. Matt, how we doing, man? I mean, I don't even know what to say, to be honest. A national championship game, and you lose by 58? <laughs> by 58? Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you right now, honestly, honestly, after the first drive, the very first drive, I was like, this thing's over. And I was the guy who all week was saying, I'll take TCU with the points. And then, like, the last two days on primetime, uh, I kept telling the guys, there, wait, can I get that pick back? I'm not feeling good about it. Then I, started, then I started going on social media saying I'm not feeling good about my TC when the points pick. I knew Georgia would win, but I thought TC could play it close. And then, pack after that first drive, I thought there's no chance in this game. They got no chance. After each team had the ball once, so I knew they had no chance. Well, and to think it was 10-7 at one point, and then Georgia right. scores 55 unanswered. All right, here's the way I'm looking at this. I want to get your thoughts. The positive and the negative. The positive is the Georgia Bulldogs and Kirby Smart. Now 29-1, and Stetson Bennett now a two-time national champion winning quarterback. I mean, how can you summarize what Georgia has done here in the last two years? It's remarkable. It's remarkable because I, I think more than anything, Hack, we are in an age of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of pre-player movement and NIL, which means there are – chances for players to leave and go find not only better monetary deals, but better situations where they can play, where they can, uh, you know, get away from the, a situation where they're not the first string, you know, and these are talented guys like, like Nick won all those national championships at Alabama for the most part, really for, for really in general without free player movement and without the idea of NIL. So he was the, the ability to stack and pack five, four and five star guys, on the roster and convinced them the weight was a lot easier than it is now. Kirby lost, you know, we always talk about 15 players that they lost to the NFL draft, which was a record since the draft went to seven rounds in the, what, the nineties, you know, they lost 14 more guys in the portal, 29 guys off that roster. They lost 32% of their, of their 85 scholarship limit. They lost. That's unthinkable. And then they come back and do this in the playoff. They come back and beat an, an uber-talented Ohio State team when they didn't play their best game. When Bennett probably played, if you really look at Bennett, he probably played the worst game of the two years for the first three and a half quarters against, against Ohio State and then got hot. Um, and, and that's why that game was so close because he, he didn't play well. He played poorly. Um, and, and you look at this team now, you're talking about 29 out of 30. You're talking about a team who next year, you know, everyone says, well, can they three-peat? I mean, are you kidding me? Did you guys not watch those young guys on the field last night when they were playing? Did you not watch Jason Walker, Michael Williams, and Dalen Everett, and Zayvon Sorry, and Marvin Jones Jr.? Those are the guys that are going to be the beast defense next year. They've had the best defense in the country the last two years. And guess what? They're going to have the best defense again. And guess what? Branson Robbins is going to be an absolute monster. Arian Smith and Adana Mitchell are going to be absolute monsters on the outside for Carson Beck and quarterback. They're going to be a team that, once again, I mean, who's going to beat them right now? They are far and away the favorite right now next year. 
You hear Matt Hayes every day on XL Primetime. You also read him at SaturdayDownSouth.com. Matt, you've covered college football for a long time, so I'm certainly interested in your opinion. I said the positive is Georgia. The negative last night to me was the world of college football because uh, no one's going to beat these guys. You, you just said it. I mean, it is January the 10th, and I will go ahead and tell you that in 51 weeks or whatever it's going to be, Georgia, probably Ohio State, Alabama. I mean, we know who the teams are going to be in the playoff next year. We talk about lack of parity. Matt, it was Bowles against DuPont Middle School last night in the national championship game. I mean, it was a bad night for college football, correct? It was not a good night for college football, but I will say this. If we rewind just a little bit, Ohio State's got a brand-new quarterback. It's probably going to be McCord, um, the the five-star that sat a couple years. Um, They also, by the way, Michigan might have a brand-new coach. And from what we've seen of Michigan on the big stage – It's not that good outside of the Big Ten. And then you start talking about, all right, well, guess what? You know, what's Clemson right now? Is is Clemson a team that you're you're nervous about? What about in the Big 12? Is there anybody in that conference right now that you're nervous about? Whether Pac-12, Oregon, or USC, which can't play defense? So I don't think it's just that Georgia's so good. I don't think that anyone right now has a complete team. Now, it might change at the end of spring when the transfer portal situation filters out a little bit and you see who has what. But right now, the problem with, with everyone chasing Georgia, Alabama's going to have a new quarterback next year, Hack. I mean, is Tyler Simpson the guy? Do they go to the portal and find somebody? Who in the portal's left? Does someone leave an elite quarterback, leave a school so Alabama picks that quarterback up? Um, Jalen Milrow the guy? We don't know what Alabama's got next year. So I think at the very least, Georgia, on paper, looks set up better than everybody else. And they've got a kid who's been in that system for four years getting ready to play quarterback. And he was out there throwing BBs in the, in the few throws he made last night in the, in the title game. And Carson Beck's a very talented quarterback. So it might take a three, four, five, six games for him to get into the flow of things at Georgia, which I doubt, but it may. But that defense, I don't know if y'all were watching that defense last night. Some of those guys who go to the NFL, those young dudes, Michael Williams is going to be just an absolute beast. Jason Walker, same thing. Damon Everett, same things. I mean, those linebackers, Xavier Sway and Marvin Jones Jr., they haven't got on the field. Those guys would start for about 98% of the other teams in college football. So this team is really, really set up to win big. And the problem is all the other huge heavyweights in college football have questions. Let me ask you this. and Tell me if I'm crazy. Is this outrageous? I was thinking about this this morning. And I think you're right, by the way. There are a lot of questions with a lot of big teams. Dare I say a team like Florida State could potentially be in the mix next year? They didn't. I mean, everybody's coming back, Matt. It's amazing. Jared Verse coming back. Fabian Lovett. I mean, these guys were going to be high draft picks. Jordan Travis coming back. Florida State, again, is cleaning up in the portal. I saw your colleague, Brett McMurphy, in his way-too-early preseason top five had Florida State at number four. I got to tell you. You know, when I think of teams that are going to make the playoff next year, there's a very short list. I think Florida State's going to be among that list. Hack, I don't disagree. I, I don't disagree that I think it's great that you know they've got those guys coming back. I think it's a mistake for versus could be a top ten pick, but I, I just I look at that team and I love what they did. I love what Mike Norvell did. 
you know, I was saying in early November, I think it's going to be a 10-win team because they were just trending that way. But, man, that team, I watched that last regular season game, and but for the Florida quarterback throwing it 30 feet over Jonathan Odom's head on a 4th and 12, that team is not a playoff team, buddy. I'll tell you that right now. That team, and I don't care how many people you add in the portal because they added some a couple nice guys from the portal. We're not talking about impact defensive players. That's not what they, that's not what they added from the portal. So I, I don't see that team remotely close standing up to any of the four that are in that playoff next year. Now, I think they'll be a very good team next year. I think they'll have a chance to win the ACC next year. But I'm not, I'm not sure what that says as far as where they are among the nation's elite. And, I, you know, because I think when I start talking about the playoff, I can, maybe I'm wrong by saying this. When I start talking about the playoff, I think, all right, four elite teams. But maybe we all have to start readjusting about how we're looking at the playoff now in this era of Georgia football. Um, you know, I also think here's another thing to, to, put, to bring it a little bit home like you love to do. I mean, if you're a Florida Gator fan, this is what you're chasing right now. It's not just that Georgia is the top of college football. It's not that the Georgia is the top of the SEC. It's that Georgia is your rival. So if you're Billy Napier – Everything you do will now be seen through the lens of how badly are you going to get beat by your rival or how much closer are you to your rival? It's uh, it, it's a sobering place to be right now if you're Billy Napier, I'll tell you that. A couple of more for Matt Hayes, Saturday down south. Of course, you hear him every day on XL Primetime. I had a Gator fan over the weekend text me, a buddy of mine, and say, look, all things come to an end. What Florida had with Urban Meyer in 2006 and 7 and 8 and 9, and I said, yeah, that's true, but Urban got tired of it. Urban stopped recruiting. Urban wanted a way out, particularly when Tebow and the boys went off to the league. Kirby Smart is loving life. Kirby Smart doesn't want a way out. He's not going to the NFL. He doesn't want to go anywhere else. This is what Kirby Smart has dreamt to do his entire career, so the, the parallels between Florida falling off after Urban, I don't think have anything to do with Georgia because Kirby, obviously, is not Urban. Pack, so at the end of that game, literally two or maybe maybe two or three minutes after the, you know, the, the final seconds wound down, he's on ESPN, the broadcast, and he was asked about, you know, how does it happen? And this is his quote. You ready? This is literally after winning back-to-back national titles. As long as you don't have entitlement in your program, you've got a shot. Right now, we don't have that. Now, here's the key. You ready for this? It's creeping, Smart said, the entitlement. It's creeping. And games like this make it that way. Is he, he is a maniac. And I say, that, I say that with all loving terms. He's an absolute maniac. He's two minutes from winning two in a row. And he's already talking about, you know, you can't have entitlement. It's creeping. And that's how, you know, games like this make it that way. And that's how you don't win three in a row. He's literally already on them. He's already on them about winning three in a row, about staying the course, about, you know, do, doing unique things. It's, it's, uh, he, he's, he's a fantastic recruiter, a top two or three recruiter. He's a great coach. He's clearly the best coach in the game. Now, and I know people hate to hear that. Alabama people hate to hear that. Kirby is the best coach in the game right now. And, and Nick was watching on the broadcast. And I wrote about this this morning at Saturday on South at, Nick was watching this all play out in front of him on the broadcast. He must have wanted to puke because Kirby has built what he built 
in the in the early 2010s when Nick could have won four or five national championships and won two. And I think Kirby's going to win more. And, and oh, by the way, do we finally have to start acknowledging, Hack, that one of the reasons why Nick was so dominant was a guy named Kirby Smart, who was recruiting those players, who was devising that defense. I mean, how can you now not say, okay, Kirby was a major part of what Nick did? You know, a final final college thought, Matt, again, because I want to get a final thought from you on the Jaguars here. But what I just said with Kirby, and you know him, you've interviewed him, you've been around him for several years. I don't think he would ever want to go anywhere else. I mean, he played at Georgia. It's his dream. Do you think, though, and this is probably two, three, four years down the road, if this continues and they just keep wiping the floor with people because that's what they're doing right now, would there ever be an urge to say, all right, I've literally done all I can do here. I have four or five national titles, whatever. I wonder how I would do in the National Football League. Would that ever happen with Kirby Smart? I don't think he's an NFL coach. I, I think if anything, he'll just resign. I, he, Kirby goes hard, man. He Heck, he goes hard, hard. He gets after it. He's he's like, you know, Meyer time saving hard. And and I think if anything slows him down, it'll be, look, I've won four national titles or I've won five in seven years. You know, I got, I got to pull back. I got to stop. You know, I, I got to be with my kids. I got to, you know, it, whether it's health or whatever. He just goes really, really hard. And maybe his wife convinces him, hey, let's go relax somewhere on a beach. And maybe it's that. I, I don't see him going to the NFL. He's just – he's at the perfect place right now. He loves Georgia. Like, he loves Georgia like Vince Dooley loved Georgia. Vince wasn't even a grad of Georgia. He was an Auburn guy. So, Kirby's a Georgia guy. He's a Georgia alum. He played for Georgia. He's led Georgia to a national championship. He loves that university. So I don't see him leaving there, but I, I, you know, seven, eight years down the road when they've won four more championships, could he say, yeah, I think it's time I'm done. I'm burnt out. Yeah, I could see that. But in the NFL, no way. Final moments here with Matt Hayes. All right, Matt, leave us with this. The Jaguars on Saturday back in the playoffs for the first time in five years. In fact, they're going to have their first home game, prime time home playoff game in the 28-year history of the franchise against the Chargers. Uh, just your thoughts on what the Jags have accomplished this year and your expectations for Saturday night. You know, I, I don't want to overstate it, but it's just a monumental season, honestly. I mean, you're talking about a franchise that won four games in the last two years. And last year, Hack, was about as dysfunctional of a team as you've probably seen in the NFL in a long, long time. And I mean from from the jump. Remember the week one against the Texans, and we were all like, "What in the world is going on out there?" <laughs> it was awful. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, they couldn't even line up. They couldn't get on the, enough people on the field. It's almost like they hadn't practiced anything. And 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 then you go through the entire season of all that drama with Herb and the fact that we, you know, we could have run a, a quarterback sneak, but we haven't practiced it yet. And it was week eleven. And I mean, the, the stuff that they went through last year. It's just I don't I don't know how any team rebounds from that over unless it's like a two or three period, and they did it in one season. They did it in one season. They were you know they they won the they won a, a division that granted was not as competitive as the other divisions, but the reality is this team could have and probably should have won three or four more games. Then you're looking at a twelve and five or a thirteen and four team. 
this is not a nine and eight team. You know, I think people see that and they think, oh, that well, that's nine and eight. They want a bad division. That's not what this team is. And to think that they were three and fourteen last year, Ack, and they very easily could have won twelve or thirteen games this year. It's remarkable what Doug Peterson has done, what those players have bought into, how they've all how they're all playing at their ceiling right now, um, and how they all feel good about what they're doing and they're and they're getting better. It's late in the season. You know, this is when in the NFL, when it's hard to play because everybody's hurt, this team's getting better. Um, do they win this weekend? I don't know. I mean, it, it, you'll have a healthy Chargers team. But I keep hearing that. And I also think, you know what? They beat this team by four touchdowns on the road. And guess what? This wasn't the same team either as far as what they know they can do, the confidence that they have in winning games, the way Trevor Lawrence is playing now, the way the defense is playing now. It's not the same team. So would I be surprised if they win They win Saturday night? Heck no, I wouldn't. I, you know, I, I think at this point, I'm not surprised by anything with this team. That's a good point about what week three, and, and look, I think the bottom line is they had some jitters against Tennessee. They didn't play their best, but they gained experience in a win-or-go-home game, and I think that could matter on Saturday. Maybe they got their postseason jitters out of the way a week early. Maybe they'll play a little more free, a little more composed this Saturday against the Los Angeles Chargers. Matt Hayes, you get him every day on XL Primetime. You also read his terrific work there at SaturdayDownSouth.com. Matt, thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon. All right, Always enjoy the conversation with Matt Hayes. You get him every day on Primetime. And again, Saturday Down South is where you can read his terrific work in the world of college football. And yeah, look, I mean... To the victors go the spoils, right? It's Georgia's world. Everybody's living in it. I just don't like the direction we're going in college football. And it's been this way for a long time. It just seems like it's getting further away from finding a solution. You got about 10 or 12 halves, and the other 115 Division One programs are kind of like the have-nots. They can have a good year at 7-5 and five or 8-4, and four, but... That's the tip top of the mountain for them. And there's only about a dozen teams that every year, it seems, can compete for that national championship. We'll shift gears back into the world of the National Football League, the Jaguars and the Chargers, 8-15 Saturday night. Of course, the game can be heard right here on 1010XL. Pre-game coverage beginning here on the radio station at 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon. My man, John Shipley. Jaguar report. We'll look back on the AFC South championship win over the Titans, and we'll certainly look ahead to what lies ahead with the Los Angeles Chargers. In the 11 o'clock hour, we will go to Los Angeles. Fernando Ramirez covers the LA Chargers, has so for a while now. Fernando Ramirez, you can check his work out there at the Sporting Tribune in the state of California, and Justin Barney of Channel 4 also set to join us in the 11 o'clock hour with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, thank you for staying up late with us on a Tuesday night here in Duval County. It is Hacker After Dark. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chargers, Saturday night, 8-15 in the NFL playoffs. You'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's talk with a man that's joined us 
all season long. He's always kind enough and gracious enough with his time. That's my man John Shipley of Jaguar Report. John, how we doing? Hey, doing good, my friend. How you doing? John, we're good, man. Thank you, as always, for the time. You and I uh, talked about a month ago. It was the last time I had you on. I think at that time the Jaguars were either 4-8 and eight or 5-8. and eight. And my goodness, I mean, in your wildest imagination, could you ever have envisioned a month ago that we would be at this point about to host a game in Jacksonville on playoff weekend? No, no. I mean, it, it wasn't until after the Dallas game that I thought it was really, you know, like an actual possibility. I know they were always, you know, maybe mathematically in it, but I, I didn't believe until after the Dallas game that, okay, wow, this this could actually happen. So, you know, they've really, they've defied odds at every step of the way. And I think that's, you know, one thing that you can't take away from them, you know, at all is that they never, you know, gave up on the opportunity. They, they always saw themselves as still in it because, mathematically of course they were always selling it but you know when you talk to people inside the building there was never a sense of okay you know this, this is something that it's not doable or something like that so i definitely think it's something that they you know kind of spoke into existence john you're around this team every day man you've been around this team every day back to, uh, to training camp and, and certainly for the last five months i mean how how did this happen how did we go from three and seven to nine and eight and now hosting a playoff game yeah, I, I think a lot of it has to do with really, you know, some of the most important players on the team, you know, kind of taking that next step and growing up. I think obviously Trevor Lawrence, he, he had to take that next step in his evolution as a quarterback. He played his best football during that stretch. You know, they don't beat the Ravens. They don't beat the Cowboys. You know, several of those wins without him playing some of his best football. So I, I think that's absolutely the biggest factor in it. And I think another thing is you, you're seeing a number of guys across the defense playing their best football this season these last couple of weeks, you know, guys like Josh Allen, uh, Devon Hamilton, you know, Arden Key, and then the secondary, Rayshon Jenkins, Tyson Campbell, you know, you're, you're seeing uh, Darius Williams. You're seeing really elevated play across the board. And, you know, whether you want to attribute that to coaching, uh, guys being able to gel together for so long, or, you know, just guys taking that upon themselves for their own self-improvement. You know, it's really, it, it seems like everybody is hitting, you know, their best football of the season at the right mark and it goes down to the most important players such as Trevor, Josh Allen, guys like that. You know, to that point, you think about the biggest wins of the year, right? The Baltimore game, the Dallas game, you, you, you know, the Charger game going all the way back to week three. Trevor Lawrence shined in all those games. Saturday night against Tennessee, Trevor Lawrence did not shine. He wasn't bad, but he certainly wasn't great. And yet the Jaguar special teams, the Jaguar defense won anyway. And to me, John, you know, maturity, coming of age, whatever verbiage you want to use, boy, that to me is a sign of a good football team. Yeah, I mean, that's those are the kind of teams that win in January. You know, teams that, you know, they just figure out a way no matter what to win the football game. You know, it, it doesn't matter if it's the offense clicking, if it's the defense clicking. I mean, should people be concerned that, the offense didn't have their best game of the year in week 18. I mean, maybe to a tiny extent, but the important thing in that game was simply winning the game, you know, no matter how it happened, whether it's by one point, whether it's by four, like they got. So I think that's the mark of a good team is finding different ways to win. And, you know, the Jaguars the last couple of years, they were finding different ways to lose. It seemed like they lost in really every fashion possible. And now they finally have been able to flip that script. And, you know, that's what the good teams do. 
It is what the good teams do. Again, John Shipley, Jaguar Report here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. And the good teams rally around the home crowds. And that crowd on Saturday night, I mean, that reminded me of 1999. That reminded me about 1996 in the Atlanta game with Morton Anderson. I mean, you go back to the mid to late 90s when this team was in its infancy. And, and that reaction on Saturday night when Josh Allen recovered that ball that Rayshon Jenkins stripped out of Josh Dobbs' hands, that was as loud as I've heard that stadium in a long, long time. It was refreshing, and I know the players and coaches have both talked an awful lot about that here in the last couple of days. Yeah, no, absolutely. You had several guys say it was among the best, if not the best, you know, football atmospheres they played in. You know, Tyson Campbell after the game said, you know, he thought he was back at Georgia and, you know, at Stanford Stadium, some of the insane crowds and atmospheres that they've had over the last couple of years. So I, I, I think it kind of, you know, showed what everybody's always, you know, everybody's connected to the, the team who follows the team, who covers the team, has always kind of said over the years that as long as you simply put, you know, a winning product, a competent product on the field, you know, the, the fans are going to show up. I mean, this is a loyal fan base. It's a fan base that, you know, no matter how much it's been beaten down over the years, all the rumors of re relocation for years like that, the blackouts, everything like that in the past, this fan base has always been loyal. And, you know, it's it's always been my belief that as, as long as you simply give them a football team worth coming out and Joe's for, they'll do it. And I think that kind of proved it. Well, and I'll tell you what else improves too is, is just leadership, right, for this football team. When you hire the right guy – and the right guy puts the right staff in place, great things can happen. I mean, rewind the clock back 365 days. The coaching search began right about this time after the absolute just nightmare that was Urban Meyer last year. And I want to say they actually interviewed Doug Peterson for the first time right around now, back in 2022, and ultimately hired him 30-plus days later. But my goodness, John, what that guy has brought not only to this team – this organization, but really the city of Jacksonville. I don't know if you can put enough praise on the job Doug Peterson has done here in one year. No, absolutely. I, I, I personally, I think he should be in heavy conversation for Coach of the Year. I mean, you look at across the league at some of the guys. You know, obviously Brian Dable is going to get some serious consideration. I don't see any reason why Doug Peterson shouldn't get that same situation. You know, in the locker room he inherited. You know, this was a team full of, you know, there, there was some talent here, some young talent, but it was young talent that had not been developed whatsoever. You know, guys were not shown last year how to be pros, what it takes to win in the NFL. You know, guys in 2020, they went 1-15. and They didn't know it either. So you take that plus a bunch of new faces coming in, having to gel all that together. I, I, I think he's done a massive job this season. You know, they aren't here without Doug Peterson. And I think, you know, for all of the flack that, they caught throughout the process, and, you know, a lot of it came, you know, for me, I criticized the process at many points. You know, Shad Khan ended up making, in my opinion, the best hire of the offseason. He, he could have gone with, you know, the nostalgia hire of Byron Leftwich that a lot of the fan base, you know, wanted. He didn't do that. He could have gone with, you know, the, the, the new shiny toy, a young and up, upcoming offense coordinator who's never done it. He didn't do that. You know, he went with a coach who, for some reason, teams, you know, had not already offered in the last year year to two years and he made in my opinion a hire that is going to change the franchise forever and look Shad Khan kept Trent Balky amidst amidst unbelievable pressure 
from the fan base to the fact where they were dressing up as clowns in the last home game last year. And look, have there been some mistakes? Yeah, have there been some things that maybe they would like to have done differently? Of course, but my gracious, again, the job Balky's done with bringing in talent. I mean, Kirk Zay Jones and Evan Ingram were terrific signings. Oluwakin, Darius Williams, Fadakasi, terrific signings. Brandon Sheriff, obviously. I mean, I'm not going to go as far as to maybe say the fan base owes Balky an apology. That's for each and every fan to decide, the ones that criticized him unmercifully last year. But I'm just, at this point, happy that Khan kind of stayed the course because it appears Balky has done a very, very good job. Yeah, I mean, I think you even look, you know, to the 2021 draft class. I, I think that draft class and this free agency class are the two things Balky as a general manager of Jacksonville can hang his hat on and uh, he can say, you know, he, he did good work and that's what has elevated this roster. I mean, you know, obviously Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, but guys like Tyson Campbell, Walker Little, you know, Andre Cisco all had good games on Saturday and all played a big part in this run. You know, Luke Farrell had one of their biggest plays on offense for a struggling offense. You know, so I, I, you know, once again, bulky, like you said, have there been some missteps? Absolutely. And that's going to happen with any front office. And there was a point in the season, you know, before they started this turnaround where, you know, they had the most expensive defense in the NFL and it was, I believe, the 32nd ranked pass defense. Yeah, there were moments even this season where it looked like, okay, is this the guy to kind of write the ship? But after, you know, a full 17-game season, I think, you know, he definitely deserves, you know, a lot of credit. And I don't think there should be any questions asked, you know, going into the offseason about kind of the front office and its alignment because, you know, they got what's working right now and there's no reason to mess with it. All right, John, the Baltimore – or check that. The Los Angeles Chargers come here. Baltimore to Cincinnati, Miami – to Buffalo, but to me, the game of the week in the AFC is the Los Angeles Chargers coming here to Jacksonville. It is a rematch of week three, and again, I don't know how much stock to even put in that when you consider James Robinson had 100 yards, including a 50-yard touchdown. That seems like a lifetime ago, that game. Uh, The Chargers are much healthier now, certainly, Uh, but everybody's going to be talking about Herbert versus Lawrence, and you look at all six wildcard games this week, John, I'm not sure if there's a better matchup, a better uh, you know, 50-50 split, if you will, than what we're going to see between the Chargers and the Jaguars. Yeah, no, I think this is the best game this weekend. And, you know, that, that says a lot about both teams, you know, really the work that they've done to get to this point. I personally think that, you know, it's going to be a game where, you know, Jaguars have obviously played their best football as a team these last couple of weeks. They've hit their shot at the right point. The Chargers – Obviously, Week 18 was a bit of a step back, but before that, they were playing their best football this season. I mean, two young quarterbacks who have the chance to be, you know, two of the faces of the NFL and the position moving forward. Facing off first playoff game for both of them, you know, two head coaches who are really respected, Peterson versus Staley, you know, an offensive play caller versus a defensive play caller. I don't, th- I don't think, you know, you should really take Week 3 into account just how many guys the Chargers didn't have for that game and then how many guys they lost during the game. But I think it's going to be the best game this weekend, hands down. You know, and and look, we're hoping for a Jaguar win, and I'm actually not sure it's so early in the week. I'm not ready to make a prediction yet. And and I even hate to ask you this, but I will, because I don't think the players feel this way. I mean, the coaches certainly don't. But I'll be honest, I've talked to a couple of Jaguar fans that say, well, after last week over the Titans – 
everything else is now gravy, right? I mean, well, your your personal mindset on that, John. They've won the division. They're probably a year ahead of where everybody thought. They were three and seven seven weeks ago. I mean, after you win the division, coming back from that is is everything gravy from this point, or or do you still feel this team has more in them? I think they have more in them. I I, I really think you know, especially if you're trying to establish you know the winning culture that they keep talking about the kind of culture in Jacksonville that they've been missing for years. I think games like these are, you know, more important than any, any of the other games that they played, you know, getting a chance to get that playoff experience, having a young roster, you know, find out what it takes to win in the playoffs. I think that's huge, you know. And it, does that mean I expect them for, you know, the standard to be for them to go all the way? No, it'd obviously be a surprise when you have teams like the Bills, Cincinnati, Kansas City all coming, you know, at this time in the season. But, I, I think overall the Jaguars, it, w- it would be huge for them, you know, moving forward, you know, just in their entire plan in terms of team building to win this game. I'll tell you what's interesting about the seeding, too. And, again, just something to think about going into this week. You know, a team like Cincinnati is a prime example. A team like Buffalo is a prime example. Even though they're higher seeds, they're going to have to, no doubt, win at least two games against the other three. I mean, Buffalo and Cincinnati are going to knock each other out, right? That's going to happen if they play in the divisional round, the two-versus-three matchup. So Jacksonville will avoid – if Jacksonville can beat Los Angeles, a big if, they will avoid either Cincinnati or Buffalo. Who knows what happens, you know, down the line. But there's a chance as the four seed that that could even be a little bit better standing than maybe the two or the three seed is. Oh, no, absolutely. I I really think – that, that's the key to winning the division as opposed to getting in a wild card. I mean, to me, the Dallas Cowboys are a perfect example. You know, they were, they were arguably the second or third best team in the NFC, but they're the fifth seed now. They're going to have to do, you know, a lot of traveling because they didn't win the division. So, you know, that's that's the key to really being the team that, in my opinion, that, that every team needs to build for the division and to win the division title and everything else kind of comes into place after that. And I think the Jaguars did that. John, final question. What's your gut tell you? I know it's early in the week, but do you have a feeling one way or another yet about this game? Yeah, I, I, I think the Jaguars will win this game. I think Doug Peterson is going to have you know the place there to make for the offense against uh, Staley's team. And I, I just I, I feel like the Jaguars have you know at least one more. Boy, if you think this city's on cloud nine right now, if they win on Saturday night and advance the divisional round, holy moly. Let's hope you're right. John Shipley, Jaguar Report, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. John, thank you, man. Know you're busy right now with everything going on with the game. Enjoy yourself on Saturday night, and we'll be reading you over at Jaguar Report. Hey, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chargers in the AFC playoff Saturday night, 8-15. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's go to the state of California and let's talk about the Los Angeles Chargers with our friend Fernando Ramirez. He is our Chargers guy here on 1010XL, and he's always kind enough to join us. Fernando, how we doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, obviously a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of drama to get here. But finally, playoff football is here. And uh, I think it's going to be one of the best AFC, um, AFC uh, as a whole. Like so many young quarterbacks. It's going to be so much fun to watch. 
I think this uh, these next uh, these next few weeks. Yeah, Justin Herbert versus Trevor Lawrence. It is going to be some scene. All right, let's rewind the clock back to last week. I saw on Twitter Charger fans, even some Chargers media, losing their minds that Brandon Staley, the head coach of Los Angeles, was playing his guys in a quote meaningless game. They end up losing to Denver anyway and Mike Williams left the game with a back injury. So was last Sunday just kind of a disaster all the way around? I don't know if I would call it a disaster. I mean, some people are speculating that maybe Joey Bosa got hurt as well because he got ganked uh, right before halftime. But I just think it was Joey already had a sack. He had already pressured um, He had already pressured uh, Russell Wilson another time and almost got to him. And uh, and Joey obviously is coming off of that uh, that groin injury, so why why risk him? And I tell people, if Joey was really injured, he wouldn't have been on the sideline joking around with other teammates and having his helmet on. So I think Joey's fine. Uh, Kenneth Murray had a stinger, and but he was on the sideline as well. But the Mike Williams thing is a little bit concerning. Uh, now there's reports that it's back spasms. If it is, then uh, lucky for the Chargers to get a lucky break, but. Uh, but I understood what Brandon Staley was doing. Did I agree with it? No, because I want because in my opinion, I wouldn't have played Mike Williams or Keenan Allen. Why they haven't this season? Both of them have been injured the whole year. Like Keenan's missed eight games or nine. Mike has missed about four of about four or five or six even. And it's like why risk either one? I would have wrapped them. I would have put them in a glass gold case sat both of them and just been like, hey, Herbert, you've done it. Uh, and played Justin maybe a quarter, a quarter and a half, just like in preseason, yanked him and then just thrown Chase uh, Chase Daniel in there. I mean, I just don't understand why you run the risk. He said it was because they wanted to feel the momentum going into Jacksonville. I understand it. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. If he would have gone in and sat everybody and gone into Jacksonville and lost, everybody would be like, well, why didn't you play all your players? That's the reason why if you sit him, everybody goes cold. If he if he does it and people get hurt, well, why'd you do it? People are getting hurt. So I understand that aspect. But I would have uh, – I, I maybe would have sat Keenan and Mike. Uh, over everybody else, I probably would have sat those two guys um, because those two guys have been injured so often this year. Fernando Ramirez of the Sporting Tribune. You know, last week, Fernando, Jaguar fans were up in arms at the NFL making the Jaguars play on six days rest after Tennessee played on Thursday. It's not as big a deal this week, but Jacksonville gets a full week. Los Angeles was in Denver last, or I guess on Sunday night. They're going to have to, they traveled back, they got home, and now they got to fly across the country for a Saturday game. Is there any complaining going on by the Chargers, the fans, the media, that the NFL uh, put them on Saturday night? No, I think there there's just excitement uh, for playoff football. Um, obviously, with Mike Williams' injury, some fans I did notice were like, "Wow, why couldn't we have gotten the the um, the uh, the Monday night slot?" I thought I honestly thought it was going to be the Monday night slot. To be honest, I thought, "Oh, well, you have Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, but obviously you can't beat the Cowboys and uh, and uh, Tony Romo or uh, uh, Tom Brady." on Monday night football, I guess, but I thought that this was going to be a, a Monday night game, but it's not. Um, but I mean, I don't think there's any complaining. I, th- I just, I just think that Brandon Staley's group all season haven't complained. They've just put their heads down and, and gotten to work and, and, uh, and really, but, um, and really just put it together and, 
and try and play hard. So I think that's that's their thing. They don't care about the schedule. They just care about going in there and trying to uh, to get get out with a uh, with a win against a really tough team that they've already faced once before this season. You know, we had you on before that week three game, and that was a lifetime ago. I told Jaguar fans, don't think about the, that game basically at all. If you want to know anything about that no. game, James Robinson was a 100-yard rusher and scored a 50-yard touchdown, and James Robinson hasn't been on the Jaguar roster for, for almost two months. So that game against the Chargers in week three I think is almost meaningless. But from a Charger point of view, is there a revenge factor or anything along those lines because of 38 to 10 in week three no i think it's a different team also and i mean the thing is they didn't have keenan allen there uh center Corey lindsley didn't play as well uh there were some other uh joey bosa went out i think at halftime with that injury and then uh rashawn slater went out as well uh their left tackle so there's a lot of factors in this uh in this game or in that game that are different so I'm sure that the Chargers are uh, – they know they're a different team. Brandon Staley said it last night uh, – or on uh, Sunday night. So did um, Justin Herbert. He said, we're a different team. And they are. They've kind of put it together a little bit more. The defense is a lot better. Don't, I wouldn't let last. I wouldn't let Sunday night against the Broncos um, say anything else. I think the defense is a lot better than, than what it was advertised there. Um, I think they're – I think – it was a lot, uh, I think Sunday against the Broncos was a little bit kind of like like they they had some nice sequences on defense, but at one point the players were kind of like, "Well, are we getting ganked or not? Are we still playing? Are we going to go hard? What are we doing?" Like, so I feel like that's why they gave up so many yards at one point. Um, but I think the defense is a lot better than when it was against Jacksonville. They've got, they've they've done better against the run as well uh, ever since Jerry Tillery kind of uh, since they released Jerry Tillery. It seems like the defensive line has done a lot better. Um, since he left uh, the Raiders, so I think their defensive line has gotten better. Their offense, or their offense is a lot better as well. So uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay that game any mind as well. I'm, I'm with you. I don't think it has anything to do with this game. I think this game is going to be totally different for both sides. I think uh, Jacksonville is playing really well on defense right now. They're really clamping down, and and I think they're even better on defense than they were in that uh, in that matchup against in Week Three. Fernando Ramirez of the Sporting Tribune talking about the Los Angeles Chargers. They come in here on Saturday night for playoff action. You'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Fernando, from a Jaguar point of view, I almost think we're a year ahead. I thought of us as maybe like the Chargers of last year. Get to the very end of the year. We'll see what happens. Last year, it didn't work out for the Chargers. They got eliminated the last week of the regular season. Now Herbert's in year three. They get into the postseason. I was expecting Trevor Lawrence in year three to get into the postseason. The Jaguars are a year ahead of the script to me. But back to you guys, back to the Chargers, how important was it for Herbert to get into the postseason? Because that had been kind of the yeah. complaint. You know, he's a great quarterback, but he hasn't gotten into the postseason. Now that talk comes to an end. Yeah, no, I mean, going back to, uh, to the Jaguars, I mean, when you have a, a, a head coach that knows what he's doing, uh, I mean, obviously things change and Doug Peterson's, I think one of the best coaches that the Jaguars could have gotten. He understands the, the MO. He's a Super Bowl winning head coach. Uh, it's funny because on my podcast, uh, Compas on the Beat, my, my brother, who's uh, one of our uh, co-co-hosts, he, uh, he called it. He's like, and before the season started, he's like, I think the Jaguars are going to make it to the playoffs. They'll win the division. I was like, get out of here. The Jaguars, like you watch Doug Peterson's going to turn that thing around. So 
Uh, very impressed with what Doug Peterson's done there. But you're completely right about uh, about Justin Herbert. He needed to get into the playoffs. And it's not indicative on him because everybody's – I've, I've heard some networks and some people go out there, and, and you can tell they're nothing – they're not around the team. They don't know anything. They're like, oh, well – Justin needs to lead them into the playoffs. Justin Justin did everything he could last year to get him into the playoffs. I mean, he literally went eight for nine on fourth downs against the Raiders, and they just couldn't get it done because the defense just couldn't. Uh, the defense just wasn't good enough. So what did the, the the team do? They went out and they went out and they got Khalil Mack, Kyle Van Noy, Sebastian Joseph Day, like guys that are going to impact on this defense and help them be better. So obviously now the the defense has done a lot better this year, but uh, Justin Herbert needed to get into the playoffs. You, and it, it, it's just because of his talent, too. You want to see that talent in the playoffs because right now, I mean, there's the unknown. There's the unknown with the Chargers. There's the unknown with the Jaguars. I mean, everybody saw Cincinnati last year make it to on that run. The Chargers or the Jaguars could be that Cincinnati Bengals this year where they could end up making a surprise run and making it all the way. You just never know with the playoffs. And uh, that's the fun thing about having young quarter, young unexperienced quarterbacks. Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence don't know what what mistakes are in the playoffs. They don't know anything. They're going to go in here maybe playing carefree and and just having fun. And and who knows? Maybe that turns into a Joe Burrow run like last year. So that's the fun part about watching young quarterbacks like these guys go at it. They could literally turn this into a huge run, and uh, and it'll be fun to watch. You know, admittedly, I'm a little biased. I'm curious, you're point of view on this I look at the six wild card games this week and, and Miami and Buffalo well you don't really know about Miami's health at quarterback Buffalo yeah. uh, should have a reasonably easy time I would guess same thing Baltimore Cincinnati nice rivalry but we see that twice a year already heck we just saw it exactly. this past weekend you go to the NFC the Giants and the Vikings all right I mean again that's a rematch from a regular season game Minnesota taking on New York I agree with you, Dallas and Tampa, but I'm not really sure how good Tampa is. Tom Brady's the reason that game is on yeah. Monday night. And then Seattle, San Francisco, eh, I'm not a West Coast guy. You are. There's not a lot of intrigue for me there. But then I look at the game here. Herbert, Lawrence, the Chargers, the Jaguars, and I'm like, this might be the best wild card game of the six this upcoming weekend. Oh, no, it 100% is. And, and that's why I told you I would have put it on the Monday night slot. That's my opinion. Um, that Monday night slot would have been perfect for the Chargers to play. But, I mean, obviously, uh, things are things are a little bit uh, – things are different where uh, where the decisions get made. But this matchup is just too it, – it's huge. I mean, it's two really good uh, – two great quarter, two great young quarterbacks. Um, you have so many stars on both sides. You have so many personalities. I mean, I remember when Rayshon Jenkins – was with the Chargers. He was an energizer, but he was always dancing around. He was always getting excited. And look, he made the big play on Saturday where he stripped um, Joshua Dobbs and they scored the Josh Allen scored that touchdown. The other Josh Allen uh, scored that touchdown to win the game and uh, send the Jaguars to the playoffs. And I think the city of, uh, of Jacksonville is going to be electric. I mean, I heard them. I heard them on Saturday. It was loud. It was aggressive. They were saying they were chanting ref, you suck. They were chanting all kinds of things. So I really think Jacksonville is in for uh, a treat on Sunday. And even whatever happens, happens. But I think Jacksonville is in for a treat on Saturday. Uh, I think um, I think this game is going to be really interesting. I think it is. I'm with you. I think this is going to be the game of the week. I think this is going to be the game that everybody's eyeballs are pierced under their TV and is going to have everybody, even if you're not a fan of either team, it might have you jumping around uh, with excitement just because both quarterbacks 
are uh, are so good, and and both teams are so exciting to watch. Final moments here, Fernando Ramirez, the Sporting Tribune, talking Los Angeles Chargers. Fernando, as we wrap up, look, it's a cautious optimism for me. Again, I think the Jaguars. I'm not going to say this is the gravy on the mashed potatoes or the hot fudge on the vanilla ice cream, but it almost kind of is, right? They were three and seven, you know, seven weeks ago, and now all of a sudden they're nine and eight and hosting a playoff game in prime time on Saturday night. I mean, it's it's crazy, the turn of events here in seven weeks. But then I see Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler and Khalil Mack and Derwin James. I mean, if you have a schoolyard pick em in this game, of the first 10 guys taken, seven or eight of them might be Los Angeles Chargers. And I totally get that. I'm curious from your perspective, when you and your your brethren in the media out there look at Jacksonville, what do you see and how challenging do you think the Jaguars will be to Los Angeles? Uh, no, the way we see Jacksonville is an up and coming team that's ready to that's ready to put their um that's ready to put their uh their gloves on and then they're ready to fight against anybody in the NFL. So that's the way I see them. I think Jacksonville is one of those up and coming teams that's that's ready to get into that fight. I think the Chargers are one of those teams that's getting ready to get into that fight too, to stay in the playoffs consistently for years to come as well. Just because when you have the quarterback, you have a lot. So, and uh, I think that both of them are, are uh, I think the Jaguars are, are coming. I just think it's like you said, it's a, it's maybe one year just because I think they've overachieved, but I, I still think they're a good team. So I, I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm not surprised by the Jaguars, but I think they're going to continue to add on pieces. Trevor Lawrence is still a rookie on his rookie deal. And I think Jacksonville is going to get even better uh, next season, especially with a full off season of Doug uh, in the second off season of Doug Peterson and everything and him and go him go out and get more players and draft. Well, I think this team could be even better uh, for years to come. Fernando, it could be the start of a nice little rivalry with Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence on Saturday night. The Jaguars and the Chargers, 8-15. You'll hear it right here on 1010XL. Fernando Ramirez, the Sporting Tribune. Fernando, safe travels to Jacksonville, man. We'll see you this weekend. Thank you. Have a great uh, have a great week, and everybody enjoy uh, sat that Saturday night game because it's going to be – I think the fireworks are, are going to start early, and it's going to be uh, – they're going to they're gonna be firing off often just because of these two quarterbacks. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Boy, there is so much going on with the Jaguars about to get ready for their first primetime home playoff game in franchise history. A lot going on in college as the Georgia Bulldogs just won their second straight national championship last night. And a lot going on on the high school coaching carousel as a lot of jobs being filled as high school teams already, believe it or not, are beginning preparations for the 2023 season. With that, Justin Barney of Channel 4, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Justin, it's been a little while, man. How are you? Not too bad. Kind of wrapping up uh, over for Christmas. We had some all-area teams running at Christmas, so that was fun to catch up with a lot of those athletes, including Horrell Gray and Grayson Howard, our offensive and defensive players of the year respectively and uh, after that kind of moves past you turn your attention to the coaching moves on the high school circuit those are always seeming uh, seem to be uh, the turns still always revolving and uh, a lot of new coaches getting in and plugged in a new programs yeah a lot of interesting moves you and I spoke briefly a couple of weeks ago I guess the biggest one at that time was Christopher Foy right from Jackson 
to Oakleaf, and then another job in Clay County got filled about a week and a half ago. Fleming Island goes and gets Bartram Trail's longtime assistant, Chad Parker. Yeah, it was a good hire for uh, for Chad. You know, originally he had uh, stepped away. He was hired at Wolfson, I believe, in the 2017 season. Things didn't work out there. He went back to Bartram Trail that year. They played for a state championship, and uh, that's his. Uh, this is Chad's first uh, true head coaching job he's uh, he's done wrestling he's done uh, football assistant coaching for wiles does, does a lot of stuff with high school recruits in the area even outside of football so chad is a, a well-known guy locally but this is his first um what should i say uh, quasi first uh, head coaching job so um on the job briefly at wilson as i mentioned but uh, at fleming island a big step up for him and uh fleming and bartram really remind me of one another i know fleming trying to get to that uh consistency of a bartram trail program those two schools remind me very very much of one another so chad going to a great program over there trying to build off the work damian springs did in his very consistent time leading that clay county school well i think it's a great move by fleming island and look i had coach parker on a couple of weeks ago and we talked about it right when he took the job i mean you look at what bartram has built and you look at what daryl sutherland did with bartram trail well certainly you look at chad parker he was daryl sutherland's kind of right hand man there at Bartram. So I think it's a great move by Fleming to try to build that Bartram culture by hiring a guy that knows all about it and Chad Parker. Yeah, right. And um, again, Bartram and Fleming, very, very similar uh, programs. Uh, High schools came uh, into existence around the same time together. And as I mentioned, Chad has has really cut his teeth under uh, one of the best public school coaches this area has ever seen, Daryl Sutherland. And again, Chad's Chad's background is beyond football, too. He's done head wrestling coach duties for quite some time. So uh, he is in Fleming Island, is is in kind of Clay County, where he's wrestling a mecca in the first coast area um clay county has been phenomenal really a hotbed for wrestling too um so chad really really going into a program that i think he is going to be familiar with obviously uh from uh, from a north florida perspective just but but also from a perspective that he knows fleming fleming and bartram have played and uh some very good high stakes games over the years as well so i think that's a great hire for fleming island i think chad parker the perfect fit to go over there and uh, and and succeed Damian Springs. Justin Barney of Channel 4. Speaking of Bartram, they also have a brand new head coach. They go outside of the area to bring in head coach Corey Johns. Yeah, and that's that was an interesting hire. So I talked to uh, to both Corey and Ben Wendell last week, the athletic at, at uh, Bartram Trail, and uh, Ben said it was a natural fit there. So Corey is a guy who is from this uh, this region. He played high school football at Interlochen, has family in Putnam County still, and uh, he played college football at JU for a little bit of time before going to Weber International. Uh, he's had two head coaching positions previously. He comes to the area from Nature Coast Tech. Pretty solid program down there, and he uh, he had them in the playoffs all six years of his tenure there. So very consistent, um, very uh, again another similar program to Bartram Trail, Nature Coast Tech. So I think that's a uh, be an interesting hire. He's young, he's thirty seven. Um, again, he knows the area a little bit, and I know uh, I know Ben Window and also. Corey really want Daryl Sutherland to, to kind of stay involved with that program. So I don't think Daryl's going to be too far away from Corey. I know the two spent some time together uh, before his hire was made official. So I know he's going to lean on Daryl quite a bit. I mean, he was there for 23 seasons. He is Bartram trail through and through. So 
Corey doesn't want to replace Daryl. He's going to run a, a very balanced offense, but I know he's going to lean on Daryl and uh, his coaching pedigree for quite some time. And I know that was very important to Ben Wendell and the hiring committee there at Bartram Trail, not to, you know, not to forget about what, what Daryl did and really to kind of still incorporate him into that program. So they get a young coach uh, who, uh, He's really kind of ascending in his career. So Corey John's not a name that a lot of people know from the coaching circuit locally, but it's certainly a name that has been around this area for a good bit of his uh, of his high school and, and college career. Justin, when you look at jobs that have been filled this offseason, jobs that were filled last offseason, you know, you rattle off the schools, right? Mandarin, Oakley, Fleming Island, Bartram Trail, Fletcher a couple of years ago with Seatric Faison. You're talking about the biggest public schools in our area is that a coincidence or is there something to that that the coaching turnover is happening at all the big public schools yeah i don't i think it's just kind of happenstance i think it it's uh just where it is in the in the situation you know bartram sutherland had been there for 23 seasons uh, mandarin has been a little bit of a more of a cycle uh, of coaches with brian braddock to bobby ramsey to toby bullock um, so you little, you know, little, little bit of here and there with the, the coaching turnover. But um, again, it's, it's a profession that is constantly changing, constantly evolving. You know, it's not a, it's not a nine to five job, for instance, but they, uh, they, they pay you like a, um, you know, working in the poorhouse, but they expect so much of you. It's a 365 day a year part-time job in, in terms of what they pay. Uh, but I think, um, you know, I think a lot of these men, you love to be a coach. You love to, to lead young men. When I asked the question at the high school media day back in July, you know, why do you stay in this? Why do you do this? And it's because they love what they do. Certainly not for the pay, but I think as those, those, uh, the stakes and the demands get higher and higher every year, I think a lot of those coaches, longer term coaches, and even some of the younger ones really weigh that out and say, you know, can, is this really what I want to do with my time? And my time is valuable. My family is, is valuable. And you miss out on a lot of that time and a lot of those family experiences. And I just think it's a lot easier now to, uh, to kind of view that and, and say, is this really what I want to do? But credit to the coaches, the men and women who, who continue to invest in that is it's a massive, massive commitment. They are massively underpaid, and I uh, wish we would see that change here in Florida. Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, what other jobs that came open have recently been filled? Yeah, we've got, obviously, the, the big ones, Corey and, and Chad at uh, Bartram and Fleming Islands. Keystone Heights has just filled their position uh, this week. Steve Reynolds, former Oakleaf and Bradford coach, uh, moves up to the position of head coach at Keystone Heights, takes over for Chuck Dickinson, the guy had been there forever. Chuck Dickinson, uh, really a coaching staple in Clay County. So Steve Reynolds uh, ascends to that role. And then Menendez, uh, Matt Potak steps down at Menendez. And we have a new guy, a similar uh, familiar name, and Ben White uh, moving into that Menendez position. Uh, He's the uh, former defensive coordinator at Oakleaf. So he knows the area well. People know his name well. So congrats to Ben White and Steve Reynolds taking over at Menendez and Keystone Heights, respectively. And so with all the hirings that have happened, I mean, look, I know Atlantic Coast is is rumored to be hiring a coach in the next day or two. I mean, there's not that many jobs that are still open, correct? Yeah, you know, you've got a job at Jackson that is still open, a vacancy there. Christchurch still open in uh, in West Nassau still open. So some some uh, some schools have not filled those. I expect those to be filled uh, probably within this month. Justin Barney of Channel 4. All right, Justin, we don't normally talk anything outside the world of high school football, 
but it's a special week here. There is no doubt about that. It is the first night playoff game uh, at home in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And look, man, you've you've lived here your entire life. I mean, you've you're like me. You grew up in that stadium before you really got in to sports media. And I know you've enjoyed the run just like I have over the last two months. Just your thoughts on on what Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars have accomplished here, really going back to, I guess, the middle of November. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Jacksonville lifer or St. Augustine, St. John's County lifer. And um, it's it's just awesome to see this community. And, you know, like you, I grew up as a, as a fan of the Jaguars. I remember exactly where I was. I was a, a senior in high school walking into my house when news of the Jaguars being awarded in 1993 broke. And it was euphoric, exciting. I remember the front page of the Times Union special edition with the big Jaguars logo. We did it. Uh, Wayne Weaver holding the Jaguars helmet on the front uh, bottom of that paper. It's just an amazing time. Um, and I've been fortunate to cover a lot of those Jaguars games starting uh, in the 99 season. So was that the 99 Dolphins playoff game, the Titans playoff game. I've covered hundreds of Jaguars games in my professional time, and it is never old to see the city get uh, excited and rocking about that. You see it from a little bit of a van- different vantage point now, Hacker, you and I do uh, being in the, the media, but it's still awesome. And I say nothing excites and unites this town as much as an NFL team that's in success and uh, those playoff seasons that have been here in the past, the 99s, uh, uh, the playoff season in 2017, there's just a different air of excitement around this town, around this community, and just so awesome to uh, to be out there in the community, to be at stores and restaurants and uh, to have people talking to you about the Jaguars or to see them up on the big screen. So just excitement, man, the place is going to be rocking on Saturday. I was there last Saturday and what an environment and I cannot wait to be there this Saturday night as well. I made this point last night on Saturday night, whether you're at the stadium, I also heard from a lot of people that work at sports bars, were at different sports bars around town. It felt like the late nineties. I mean, it felt like it did in this city back when Mark Brunell and Tony Baselli and Jimmy Smith were doing their thing. I mean, we, even in 2017, it was fun but but this this season just feels, I guess, different even than that one did. Yeah, and you even go back to '96 and how how new that was. You know that that Morton Anderson missed field goal and just that excitement around town. The Dave Woodell comments. You know, do you believe in miracles? To a, a stadium celebrating the Broncos' win after the game that night uh, in the divisional round. It's it's excitement. It's new. I think it helps you got a Trevor Lawrence uh, as, a, as a face of the franchise and not a not a Blake Bortles. And you have an exciting offense and just that excitement. To me, it's more reminiscent of, of that excitement in 96 and 99 than it is in uh, the years that followed, especially 2017. That was a different team. And it feels so new. It feels so exciting. And just after the, the, the barren stretch of time under Shad Khan, the struggles of Urban Meyer, the constant embarrassment of that, regime it just feels so exciting the fan base has been starved for something like this for a long time and man it feels exciting everywhere around town from the gas stations to the crowd at TIAA Bank Field it just feels so different euphoric exciting and I think it's going to be just next level excitement on Saturday Justin Barney of Channel 4 Justin final thought what do you think Saturday Justin Herbert and the Chargers come in look I think it's the best game of Super Wild Card Weekend. You got Herbert versus Lawrence. You got a primetime atmosphere. Al Michaels in the booth. Of course, we'll also have the game right here on 1010XL. What's your uh, what's your early thought this week? 
Yeah, you know, I think it's fans will be a little uh, a little skewed because Jacksonville did beat them 38-10 in week three of the season, and uh, I don't think you can look at that game. Shandy, or Los Angeles was was beat up and banged up in that game and uh, a different kind of feeling and, and everything going into this one. So um, I think you, you kind of take one step before you take the other one, and um, you, kinda, you sound like a, a coach, but, you know, one play at a time, one – one step at a time. You can't look at it as anything more than than just a game. And I know that Doug Peterson has said that time and again. Um, you, the, the things don't change. Yeah, the stakes are increased, but it's still a football game. You got to treat it as such. And I think you got to keep perspective. If you're a fan, you got to throw that uh, that week three game out the window and uh, treat this just like what it is, like it was last week, a playoff game. Justin Barney of Channel Four. Justin, always appreciate the time, my friend. We'll talk soon. Take care, Hack. Thanks for having me. Always appreciate Justin Barney of Channel 4 for joining us here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. And that'll just about put a wrap on what has been a very busy Tuesday night show. They're all going to be busy this week. That's what happens when you have an NFL team in your city that has advanced to the NFL postseason. Again, thank you to Justin Barney of Channel 4 as the high school coaching carousel continues to spin Thank you to John Shipley of Jaguar Report. As again, we look back on the Jaguars win and the AFC South Championship over the Tennessee Titans and certainly began looking at the Los Angeles Chargers. Justin Herbert, Bosa, Khalil Mack, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler. They're all coming in. Derwin James. It is a very good Chargers team. Make no mistake about that. That's coming in here on Saturday night. And as always, my man Matt Hayes, you hear him every day on XL Primetime. You get him here as well, occasionally on Hacker After Dark. You can read his terrific work on SaturdayDownSouth.com as the Georgia Bulldogs, head coach Kirby Smart and Georgia, back-to-back national champions, just absolutely embarrassing TCU last night, 65-7. to I made the case earlier tonight. Last night was a great night for Georgia. It was a terrible night for the game of college football. And if you want to hear those thoughts, be sure and go back to 1010XL.com and the on-demand page. We will be back tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, and we will do it all over again. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Tuesday with us. you know We know you stay up late with us on Tuesday nights, and we certainly appreciate it right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday, and we will do it all over again on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.